Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio. Today's cool fact of the day is that the ketogenic diet was actually developed to treat epilepsy in children. In 1997, Meryl Streep starred in a TV movie that promoted the ketogenic diet for pediatric epilepsy in an attempt to bring the treatment back into the mainstream. Today's guest has been on the show before and it was one of the most popular episodes we've ever had. And this is none other than Dominic D'Agostino. He's a PhD and an assistant professor at the College of Medicine, Molecular Pharmacology and Physiology at the University of South Florida. That is a very long title, Dominic. He works to develop and test nutritional and metabolic therapies, including things like the ketogenic diet and things that use oxygen. And he's doing amazing things for seizures, epilepsy, metabolic disorders, Alzheimer's disease, ALS, and cancer. Dominic talked to us at the conference about new research in ketosis and what happens in your central nervous system when you get oxygen toxicity. He's done some amazing work at the Office of Naval Research. So you're going to learn a lot about why you want to be in ketosis some of the time, maybe all the time, maybe not all the time, and what supplements you can use for ketosis and what ketosis is going to do for your performance. So this is just a wealth of knowledge from a guy who's the biohacker's biohacker. I'm a big admirer of Dominic's work. And this is an amazing podcast. Check it out. Dominic, thank you so much for being here with us today. You've been on Bulletproof Radio before to discuss metabolic ketosis and how to optimize fat burning of ketones. What are you speaking about at the 2014 Bulletproof Biohacking Conference? My topic will be mastering ketosis, uh, nutritional ketosis. And it will be about exploiting the benefits of exogenous ketones for performance enhancement, physical performance and cognitive performance. And how that, the, this project evolved out of funding from the Office of Navy Research, sp specifically the Navy SEAL fighters who can use this technique as a strategy to prevent oxygen toxicity. So what are the areas of metabolic therapy research that you explore in your work at the University of South Florida? The metabolic therapy research that we're currently doing, uh, is, as mentioned, is supported by the Office of Navy Research for um, preventing oxygen toxicity seizures that divers can get. And the, the ketone therapies that we developed from this project are being applied to a variety of disorders, including neurodegenerative disorders, wound healing, even cancer. And uh, I have some preliminary data that I'd like to share today on the effects on uh, performance, uh, specifically resilience under hypoglycemia and uh, enhancement of, uh, of exercise efficiency as far as oxygen utilization. Well, before we get to that, can you explain to us what is ketosis and what are some of the common terms used in ketosis research? Okay. Uh, I like to start off talking about ketosis in the, in the context of starvation. So if we stop eating or if we severely limit carbohydrates, uh, our body mobilizes fat stores for energy. So fat from our diet which could be a ketogenic diet, or mobilization of free fatty acids from adipose tissue are metabolized in the liver 
and converted to water-soluble uh, breakdown products of fatty acids called ketone bodies, beta-hydroxybutyrate and acetoacetate. Now, the benefit of these ketone bodies are is that, that they are alternative energy sources, and specifically, I think from an evolutionary perspective, they provide a, a form of high-octane fuel for the brain. And so in the absence of food or carbohydrates, starvation allows us to, uh, to, it gives us fuel for the brain, so it continues to supply energy for the brain, and uh, this can provide resilience against the hypoglycemia, which would occur, and it also has a protein sparing effect. So by feeding the brain ketones, it prevents the breakdown of skeletal muscle for glucose. And, uh, and as your brain becomes adapted to ketones, your, your thinking and, and other physiological processes are maintained well. Now, from that context, from starvation, nutritional ketosis is simply prolonged carbohydrate restriction that can mimic many of the metabolic states of fasting, but obviously you can uh, maintain this uh, indefinitely if you want to, uh, unlike fasting, of course. And, the ketogenic diet is used for drug-resistant epilepsy or drug-refractory epilepsy, and it's, it's the standard of care. When drugs fail, it controls seizures in about two-thirds of the cases. So what we bring to the table, I guess, our lab, is it takes about 24 to 48, 48 hours to achieve nutritional ketosis, but with ketone supplementation, you can do that within 10 to 15 minutes. And with more potent forms of ketones, like ketone esters, you could produce starvation-level ketosis that would take one week's time and do that in about 10 minutes. So this has you know, practical applications for a Navy SEAL diver just prior to a mission. So it can uh, potentially enhance the mission capabilities of a Navy SEAL diver by preventing CNS oxygen toxicity seizures and also in the process enhancing their physical and cognitive performance. So can you define what CNS oxygen toxicity seizures are? We know oxygen is a stimulant to the brain. Oxygen is good, right? But uh, at hyperbaric pressure, uh, we're breathing 20% oxygen now. Navy SEAL divers use a type of equipment where they're breathing 100% oxygen, so five times the amount of oxygen. And if they go down, you know, uh, if they dive down to 132 feet of seawater, for example, they wouldn't, but if they did, that would be five atmospheres of oxygen. So the brain would get, you know, the brain oxygen level would probably go up about 10 to 20 times. And that level of oxygen would cause a seizure probably within five minutes, and it would be fatal. So oxygen is a stimulant to the brain, and that's good for some people under certain circumstances, traumatic brain injury, for example. Uh, and there's a number of, of applications for that. But because oxygen is a drug, too much stimulation causes excitotoxicity. And this excitotoxicity is the fundamental reason why seizures occur. And ketones preserve brain metabolism in the face of an oxidative challenge, which would be an over, overabundance of, of uh, molecular oxygen, because too much oxygen also contributes to the production of oxygen-free radicals from the mitochondria. And we know from our lab, the mechanistic studies that we do with ketones is that they uh, prevent the formation of free radicals, oxygen-free radicals. And that's just one of the many mechanisms through which ketones can enhance brain energy metabolism and protect it from oxidative stress. So, okay, you've just explained how starvation is a strategy to prevent CNS oxygen toxicity, but 
with respect to regular people, how does starvation change brain metabolism and how does that actually help us? Yeah, it was uh, early studies, you know, done early as, as you know, early as scripture even and, and the, around the times of Hippocrates, 400 BC, there was reports of fasting preventing epilepsy. And the science started to emerge around 1920s where this was validated. And um, shortly after that, the diet emerged, the ketogenic diet, which mimicked the, uh, the metabolic or physiological effects of uh, fasting. So, you know, we knew that fasting was a means to control seizures. And from a medical perspective, doctors kind of put their heads together and, and realized that carbohydrate restriction can mimic if you took a sample of the blood, the glucose would be low, insulin would be low, and ketones would be elevated. And that physiological state mimicked starvation. And, and it became, and Johns Hopkins and Mayo Clinic did uh, studies and uh, now have a, a pretty, pretty active clinic uh, and, and networked of doctors through the Charlie Foundation, actually, that uh, promote the use of the diet for the metabolic management of seizures, so it, it all it all originated kind of out of the observations of not eating, <laughs> of fasting, and fasting can be uh, very detrimental to a person's health if it's continued, you know, uh, prolonged. So uh, a way to get the benefits of fasting would be the ketogenic diet, you know, because you could elevate you. It, it, it prevents um, what well, lowers insulin, which. Uh, triggers a lot of physiological processes that, uh, including ketogenesis, that is neuroprotective and good for disease management. How can we use ketogenic supplementation to produce instant ketosis? So that's that's really the the thrust of our research right now. Um, the data for the use of the ketogenic diet in seizures is very abundant and it's well recognized and accepted, but it's also underutilized. Uh, so I'm trying to bring that to the forefront. A problem with the ketogenic diet and, and using it in kids, especially for pediatric epilepsy, is compliance. And, and even for the metabolic management of cancer, uh, it, it becomes difficult for most people to maintain, to comply with a macronutrient ratios that are needed to sustain ketosis. So exogenous ketones in the form of ketone esters, that would be the most potent form of ketones, ketone mineral salts, and also MCT oil, the most uh, effective would be uh, Dave Asprey's brain, act, brain octane, uh, it's high in, highest in caprylic acid. Now these are all strategies to elevate blood ketone levels independent of carbohydrate restriction. So from a practical point of view, they can, um, you know, a person could follow a less restrictive ketogenic diet, and I still think you have benefits of, you know, carbohydrate restriction for your body to naturally produce its own ketones, and you could further elevate ketones using a number of ketogenic agents, esters, mineral salts, or caprylic acid sold as uh, brain octane. So that would give you the benefits of a classical, medically supervised ketogenic diet, eating something like you know, a modified Atkins diet, which instead of a four to one ratio of fats to carbohydrates and proteins, you could do a one to one or a two to one. And from a 
practical point of view and a quality of life point of view for kids and, and adults using this for therapy, that makes a huge difference. That makes it from going to something that's you know uh, strange and <laughs> and very difficult to follow. I mean, you would be essentially ostracized from your family because most families would not kind of buy into this. You'd have to eat separately to basically being able to, you know, to even go out to restaurants. You know, last night I had fish and a salad with lots of olive oil and, you know, and that could be part of a low-carb ketogenic diet with supplementation. So you mentioned uh, the Bulletproof Brain Oil or even just MCT oil. Ideally, yeah. how much should we strive to have in our diet per day? That's that's needs to be done on an individual basis. And I've met people that, like myself, for example, I can tolerate up to probably eight tablespoonfuls of MCT per day. Uh, I think I've gone up as high as 150 milliliters, so which around that range, a little bit over. Although I've met people that, unfortunately, some, some people who are trying to manage a disorder, one teaspoon sends them running to the bathroom. <laughs> so. What I've found, though, uh, fortunately, is that people can increase their tolerance over time. And that if the MCT is taken with a meal, with some protein, with some fiber to slow down gastric transit time and gastric emptying, that, that it can be tolerated. And I've seen people not be able to tolerate 20 milliliters or, or you know, a little over one t uh, tablespoon and now can tolerate four over time and the benefits that they're getting from that are really remarkable. Uh, MCT, like ketone esters and ketone mineral salts, not only does it elevate blood ketone levels but it also, for reasons we don't fully understand, it can lower blood glucose levels and keep glucose levels low. Uh, most people are familiar with glucophage or metformin. It's a widely prescribed type 2 diabetic drug. Ketone supplementation in our hands and the feedback that I'm getting shows that it has remarkable effects at, at preventing hyperglycemia. And from a therapeutic perspective and general health perspective, that's a huge benefit. I don't think most people are talking about that, but our research is really kind of exploring that. And we would like to make that public. We're actually going to have a paper on that pretty soon showing the effects on glycemia. So with ketone supplementation, is there a certain time of day that it's best to do it, or is it best to spread it out throughout the day? Yeah, I think, you know, that's a good question. It, if you're, it depends on what you're using it for. If you're using it to, for example, put your metabolic biomarkers, glucose and ketones within a particular range and try to maintain it there to metabolically manage seizures or cancer or diabetes, I would recommend spreading it out at least three doses per day. And if you are the kind of person who's using it for performance enhancement, I would kind of take more of it just prior to an event or a period of time, you know, if you're using it to, for, for cognitive resilience or maybe more. I was traveling recently and I tend to travel with my MCT or ketone supplements and, and find it very helpful as I am now. I'm chronically sleep deprived. <laughs> so hopefully, uh, you know, in the next day or two, I can catch up on sleep. But when I can't, when I don't have the opportunity because I'm traveling, staying in ketosis gives me cognitive resilience under periods of sleep deprivation, uh, if I'm not eating <laughs> like I should be. So it's kind of a good equalizer in that regard that it can. Uh, it's a way to compensate for if I'm not following through with other aspects of my life.
Well, you mentioned uh, performance. So can you talk about how feeding ketones enhances performance? Mm -hmm. So in our animal models, we see that exogenous ketones essentially will cause rodent, either mice or rats, to run longer on a treadmill-like apparatus. So they can run faster and they can run longer. And this has been shown in other labs, too, that are developing ketones for military applications. So when I became aware of that, I became, uh, as I have an interest in uh, ergogenic supplements, supplements that enhance performance, and that really caught my attention. Even though my, I'm a neuroscientist and I was really studying its effects on the brain, uh, the performance effects were real, and uh, I just saw an added benefit to you know, the cognitive or seizure-protecting effects. So in our animal models, there's a clear indication that you can run farther and faster. Uh, and there's work that has been funded by the National Institutes of Health and are funded by DARPA, I would say, uh, at the National Institutes of Health, NIH, and also at Oxford University. And they, in human subjects, uh, advanced athletes, they pretty much nine out of 10 performed better. And some of the, most of them set their personal records, one set a world record using exogenous ketones. And that caught my attention too as I got into this research. So we develop our own forms of supplementation and found that we can mimic these effects you know, that, that others have shown uh, actually with a form of ketone supplementation that's naturally derived, a ketone mineral salt, which is essentially a ketone body combined with sodium and potassium and calcium and that's in a solution that you can take. And uh, I did a, an end of one project with a friend and colleague of mine, uh, Dr. Peter Atia, and he has a, a well-known blog on ketosis. And uh, we did an experiment where the work output on a bicycle was maintained at 180 watts, and we looked at oxygen consumption, measured ketones in blood, and showed that mild ketosis, something that could be achieved with brain octane, uh, maybe not quite at that level, but we use a ketone mineral salt, was able to essentially maintain the same level of performance with a decreased oxygen utilization. So essentially showing that your, your muscles are more metabolically efficient under a, a predetermined load over time, and up to 6 to 8 percent. So that can translate into, uh, in an advanced athlete, a pretty significant performance advantage. And to my knowledge, I don't know of anything else that, that can achieve that. Now, you know, I guess the question that we have is, you know, would it, would it happen under high intensity exercise? We did relatively lower intensity exercise, like, and uh, we did it for a 20 minute experiment. So it left us with very exciting preliminary data and a number of questions that we need to follow up on. And we're pretty motivated to do that, but we want to do it in a very scientifically rigorous manner and with a number of subjects who, some of them adapted to carbohydrates and some of them keto adapted, and, and also women. I think it's important to, to do this in women. It's, I'd like to mention all the studies that we've done, most of the studies that we've done with ketosis are in males, male animals or male subjects, <laughs> because the estrus cycle can influence your level of ketosis. It's hard for women to actually stay in ketosis, some of them to stay in ketosis when they're menstruating. And that's a hot topic right now. And I think one that we want to follow up on, we want to try to reproduce everything in females or see what the data shows on that. Because 
that's a big subset of the population, females. And it's, uh, there, there tends to be even more interest in females because it is such an effective way to manage your weight and manage you know, your, your daily, your life in general because a ketogenic diet is easier to follow, I think, because your appetite is suppressed. So when you go four or five hours without eating, it doesn't become a crisis. <laughs> and your appetite is suppressed and you're, you're kind of okay. Whereas if you're really adapted to sugars and carbs and you go four or five hours without eating, it becomes a crisis. Like, you know, I gotta eat now. <laughs> so what, some of the, you know, is what you typically observe. So, uh, and, and that's, from a practical standpoint, that's an advantage that I like, that I can eat breakfast in the morning and pretty much run all day. I might hit some bulletproof coffee or tea even midday and just maybe some fats during the day, and then I eat uh, a dinner at night. And this is coming from someone who used to eat six meals a day, trying to, you know, when I was working out a lot and trying to power lift, you know, uh, I was eating as much as I could. And, <laughs> and I just find, I, I feel so much better now, and I feel my mental clarity is much better, and I just feel healthier overall, eating so this bulletproof diet, I would say. So when you go the entire day without eating until dinner, do you ever snack? Occasionally, I'll, if I snack, it'll be a handful of macadamia nuts. I keep sardines that are packed in olive oil and lemon uh, in my desk. So uh, if I know my dinner's gonna be late, or I don't know, if I had a really hard workout the previous day and I'm sore and I know my body needs some more nutrition, I will, but the, what's, I think what's important is that I feel like I don't need to eat. And I feel that if I eat in the middle of the day, it's to just try to get in some extra calories to recover, typically from a previous workout. Or if I know the next day I'll be traveling and won't get to eat as much, maybe I'll eat a little bit more. But maybe you know, once or twice a week I'll eat in the middle of the day. But typically uh, I just rotate my meals about 12 hours apart, breakfast and dinner. And that works really well. And I didn't jump from that. I didn't jump from six meals to this. It was more of a gradual transition over time. And, uh, and also, you know, with my schedule, sometimes it's kind of hard to eat during the day with meetings and, you know, being a scientist. So it fits well with my lifestyle. Once someone puts their body into a state of ketosis, how long does it stay there without continuously feeding the ketones? Yeah, that's a good question because, well, it's a good question for kids and, and adults using it to manage seizures because if they go and have a candy bar, you know, it can set them out of ketosis for 24 hours. Exogenous ketones could qu quickly put you right back into ketosis in a matter of minutes. And therapeutically, that, that's a huge practical advantage. For someone using it just for performance advantage and they go out, like I do occasionally, I'll just go out and have sushi. And uh, usually if I have sushi for dinner, my ketones will spike up because, you know, it starts using glucose and kind of sparing the ketones in a way, like an hour or two after, and then ketones will quickly, sharply fall down. And in the morning, I'll be registering a zero. And, you know, either fasting or carbohydrate restriction the rest of the day will put me back in ketosis about 24 hours later. You know, obviously you can just take some MCT or ketone supplementations the next day and, and stay right back into the two millimolar range, which I think is around ideal for the health benefits. 
So let's say I fall off the wagon and have a piece of cake during the day. Should I immediately go out and have some MCT oil to repair the damage and put myself right back into ketosis, or what should I do? It depends on you know why you're doing ketosis in the first place. <laughs> and I think you should assess how you feel. Each person is a unique metabolic entity, and I think they need to take it upon themselves through self-experimentation how they feel. In the beginning, if I had a little carbohydrates on a strict ketogenic diet, I actually felt better for hours after. Now, I think I may get a boost, but then my blood sugar gets rebounds back, you know, after it's. So my advice would be kind of, the meter is good, the blood glucose meter and a blood ketone meter is a good way. Try to take a measurement of your glucose and ketones when you feel great. Say, well, I feel great right now. So you, you look at your blood glucose and ketones and it's like, where is that at? Okay, my glucose is 72 and my ketones are 1.8. And you know, I'll repeatedly do that during times where I feel enhanced mental clarity or you know, feel euphoric in some way. And you'll find the numbers that, that are right for you. And that's gonna vary between certain individuals and, and that's kind of how I approached it. And if I feel crummy and if I just feel hungry and irritable and you know, there's other factors that can contribute to it, but I will out of curiosity measure my glucose and ketones and it's usually far away from those numbers. <laughs> and you know, the idea is to develop your own personalized strategy to get those numbers back. And essentially it's taking a snapshot of the energy substrates that's in your blood. And that plays a huge role in everything from appetite suppression to the way you think to your motivation to want to go exercise. I mean, there's so many uh, factors involved, but I think, and we call that metabolomics. And our lab is actually doing it more global metabolomics where we can take a sample of the blood or brain tissue in animals and look at 3,000 different metabolites. And, uh, and that gives us a snapshot of what's going on in our physiology at that point in time. And we do it with and without ketones, and whether the ketogenic diet or ketone supplementation. So. And, and it also gives us some insight into metabolically how it's altering our physiology. And, uh, and so that could be the future. So if someone wants to biohack, <laughs> metabolically biohack themselves, uh, global metabolomics of your blood, you're looking at 3,000 different metabolites, and then the analysis from that could really give you some deep insight into how your body is handling. And over time, and keto adaptation is something that should probably be discussed too. Over time, the longer you follow a ketogenic diet, the easier it generally gets and the more benefits you derive from it because your body can transport and utilize ketones to a higher degree over time. And I'm talking about, you know, not just days to weeks, but months to even years. I think within, I think even after a year, your body is, um, is, through an epigenetic mechanisms, you know, because ketones have effects on gene transcription that over time your body is in an enhanced metabolic state from the level of the mitochondria over time. So that needs to be appreciated. I'm just adding that in there because it needs to be appreciated and put into context. When someone say they tried the ketogenic diet and it didn't work for me, 
And I asked, well, how long did it try it? It was about two or three weeks. I gave it a good shot. And it's like, no, that's about when the time when you really even just start to get a little bit of the benefits after two or three weeks. And, and if I asked them if they measured ketones, many of them didn't. So if to, to really give nutritional ketosis a, a legitimate shot, you have to do it for a minimum, I think, of six weeks. And then that's when exercise performance really comes back to baseline, and then you can start making some inroads to personal records, I think, by maintaining it, depending on the kind of exercise you do, too, of course. So what are the long-term side effects of living in a state of ketosis? We don't know <laughs> fully, but uh, the literature that I go back to are kids that have used the ketogenic diet for decades to manage their drug-resistant seizures. You know, many of them are coming off drugs that have horrible side effects. So they are naturally just healthier once they get on a ketogenic diet. And many, you know, follow this for a decade or more and you generally see no side effects if it's, if it's managed correctly. And um, especially if a ketone-savvy <laughs> dietitian is, is you know, formulating the diet and, and the parents are knowledgeable. Some things that may pop up over time, there's a greater incidence of kidney stones, maybe elevated uric acid levels, which could contribute to gout later on, but that's, that's kind of debatable and also an elevation of low-density lipoprotein, LDL cholesterol. The implications of high LDL cholesterol over time are not fully known. And, but what is known from a general perspective is that you get an elevation of the larger particle LDL and not the smaller atherogenic LDL particles with the ketogenic diet. So, the, the LDL <clears throat> that's elevated, I guess you could say, is relatively benign and not, not of concern. So if there is an elevation of cholesterol, uh, usually you have an elevation of your good cholesterol, your HDL, usually stays the same, or most people it's elevated. But an elevation of the LDL cholesterol may be perceived as problematic and alarming to a, a physician, you know, that's, that's kind of treating the patient, and they will urgently, you know, uh, try to get them off the diet, but I would, say that the person should look at the fractions of LDL molecules and determine uh, specifically what size LDL particles are, are elevated. Uh, besides that, maybe weight loss, but weight loss is usually a good thing for most people. But again, if you're a cancer patient using this diet to manage cancer and you have cachexia, that could be a concern, at least a calorie restriction. So they would just need to ensure that they're getting enough calories from the ketogenic diet. And Nutritional ketosis, as you may know, causes inadvertently causes some calorie restriction because it can suppress your appetite over time. And I think uh, you may have to compensate for that if your BMI is low, like going under 19 or 20. You need to almost force yourself to eat, but I like fatty foods. So <laughs> for me, it's relatively easy. And for most people, they could be trained to eat more. So you mentioned kidney stones. So for stone formers, if they want to be in a state of ketosis, is there a way to counteract the risk of developing more stones? Yeah, hydration is key, and um, ketosis may actually decrease your, your thirst, too. So you need to counter that uh, with proper mineral supplementation, potassium, sodium. Potassium in the form of potassium citrate is what's recommended for kids with, with uh, 
you know, with epilepsy that follow the ketogenic diet. So a potassium citrate supplement, ensuring that you get lots of sodium and minerals uh, that helps you keep, keep water in because it has a natriuretic effect, so you will eliminate some excess sodium. And a lot of people like that because you're not as bloated, you're, you're kind of tighter, your skin's tighter. So hydration and mineral supplementation, and in particular, potassium citrate, uh, especially if you're really kind of deep in ketosis and you want to stay in ketosis, uh, it'll, it'll offset the, uh, you know, the, the effects of the naturetic and, uh, I guess, mineral depleting effects of ketosis, especially initially. So the first two weeks, it's, it's pretty significant. And then your body adapts pretty incredibly over time to regulating its fluid and mineral balance. So this is more of a concern the first month or so and then over time you adapt naturally, your physiology adapts. So what does it mean to you personally to speak at the 2014 Bulletproof Biohacking Conference and to the work that you're doing? That's a great question. Uh, thank you for asking that. And I'm really honored to be here and I'm, I'm really excited that Dave Asprey has uh, an appreciation for nutritional ketosis. Not a lot of people do. They just Ketones are thought of as metabolic poison, you know, from the medical community. And, you know, we know through our research and through self-experimentation and anecdotally that that's not the case. So I, I'm really uh, thankful and grateful that I'm given a platform to talk about my research and, uh, and to share this research with other people and to hear their feedback. I like to invite feedback on other things that I can do. Uh, so it means a lot to me that I was invited to, to talk about my research here. And uh, I'm just excited to, to show everyone uh, some preliminary data that I think will be very useful for the things that they're interested in, which is enhancing performance and cognitive resilience and performance. So uh, I just wanna personally thank Dave for this opportunity and all the people behind the scenes who make it happen. Cause I know, you know it's more than one person behind this event. It's a lot of people working together to make this happen, and I really appreciate that. All right, Dominic, I know you've answered this before, but we ask this of every guest. What are your top three recommendations for kicking ass at life and staying bulletproof? Yeah, that's right, he asks this question every time, right? <laughs> I, I don't remember how I answered this before, but I don't wanna give the same answer. So the, the top three, I think the first, what I'm finding in my, my area of life is that you need balance. So above, above everything else, I know Dave's a go, go, go guy and all the people surrounding him are kind of go, go, go guys. Uh, that creative downtime you know, is really important. I was just talking to you know, some people that have achieved enormous things in their life and a number of them report back that they take an hour out of their time you know, just to shut down. And that creative downtime is, is extremely important. And I think as you work your way up and the obligations and demand on your time becomes much more strained, that, that even makes it more important to have that hour of creative downtime. And I think from, uh, you know, I'm thinking like body, mind, and spirit. So, and that, that would be, that, that kind of gets to the heart of it, uh, just that balance. But nutrition and, you know, is, that's what I study. So I got to put that top of my list, that prioritize nutrition. And if your mind and your body are healthy, you can achieve greater things in life. And, uh, and one thing, I probably didn't mention it before, but it's becoming more important now is sleep. You know, there's no way to biohack sleep. Maybe it's a, maybe some people are talking about it here, but 
you know, you really need a good, you know, five to six hours of sleep a night. And I've gone periods of time where I went, you know, two or three hours a night consecutively. And so I would really like to, I know in this world, you know, people just try to get by on less and less sleep. I think prioritizing not only the quality or quantity of your sleep, but also the quality. And I think there's some technologies here that can help us do that. And I think that's, I'm really excited to see that. So that, that's another enthusiastic reason why I'm here, why I'm here and want to talk to people. So that would be my three, I think. Yeah, creative downtime and nutrition and, and sleep. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dominic, for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Have you heard about our new Brain Octane Oil? It goes far beyond upgraded MCT or any other coconut product for creating maximum cognitive function. This is about 4% of what's in coconut oil. It's 18 times stronger than coconut oil, and it's what I put in my Bulletproof coffee every single day. I use upgraded coffee beans, brain octane oil. In my case, I can take two tablespoons of it, but a lot of people use much less than that. And I put a couple tablespoons of grass-fed butter in there, blend it, and have an amazing day. If you haven't felt the difference between upgraded MCT and brain octane oil, you owe it to yourself to give it a shot.